Thank you uh, very much for that welcome. And uh, it's wonderful to see so many people here. And uh, just to the people who, to uh, my colleague who kind of gave me her copy of the, my talk, which I couldn't find, I've now found mine. So if you want it back to check that I say what I'm meant to have done, and if you don't come forward, I'm going to say what I feel like. <laughs> that always, because you won't be able to know. It's a great privilege to be here. This is an area of life that has been um, central to uh, my own prayer and my own thinking for a very, very long time. Uh, when my wife and I got married at the end of 1979, uh, in our first two summer holidays, when we were still living in Paris and I was working in the oil industry, we took Bibles with a group affiliated to Open Doors, to um, not part of Open Doors, but linked, to, um, uh, uh, in the first year, to what was then Czechoslovakia, and secondly, in the second year, to Romania. And what that brought home to me, uh, and to both of us, was, was a number of things. One that God is present in the midst of the suffering of the persecuted church. And secondly, that um, listening to those who are being persecuted is extraordinarily important. Talking at them or about them is one thing, but actually hearing them is something quite different, and it burns itself into our souls. And although there's much talk of persecution in this country, I think we need to distinguish our situation, as Rowan Williams did quite rightly, from the serious oppression in places around the world where the response to the call of Jesus to follow me is forbidden. I'm going to expand this to talk about other faiths as we go on. I'm consciously starting with Christians and then it will expand outwards. We need to start with generosity and free will. Generosity and free will because religious freedom, choice, the choice of how and whether at all we follow God or turn away from God, is something that is given in creation and in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are Christians, and I'm aware there are other faiths here, for those of us who are Christians, living out that choice as something that we offer freely around us as well as something that we demand for ourselves is what distinguishes us from some of the sad and, in fact, evil history that has characterized the church at times in the past. Free choice is essential because that is what Jesus gave those he encountered. Think of the rich young ruler who is offered a choice and goes away sad. Think of the thieves on the cross on either side of Jesus, one of whom turns to him, the other of whom curses him. They have choice. The choice to respond in faith or not is right through the Bible. The choice of truth and error is right through the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, we see it above all in the history of Israel and in the teaching of Deuteronomy and in those books that linking closely to that pivotal book of the, New, of the Old Testament. 
In Deuteronomy alone, the word choose comes more than 20 times. It is fundamental to our understanding of what it is to relate to God and to relate to the world. We are those who have space, who have free will, who have choice, and then bear the consequences of that. For, the, for these reasons, even more fundamentally than international law, freedom of religion is a fundamental human right, now enshrined in international law, and should be treated as equal, not subordinate, to other human rights. And let's just, for those of us who are Christians, let's be quite clear that the church, including the Church of England, has a poor record in this as in many other areas, but perhaps in the last 300 years has begun to learn a little of where we went wrong. Because human beings are, are in the image of God, our religious beliefs are a core part of what it is to be human. They form us into who we are, they provide foundations to our deepest convictions and motivations for our sincerest actions. That is something that goes back right through history. We see, looking back, the formation of the monasteries with St. Benedict was driven not by his thought that it would be a good idea to have somewhere a bit safer as the Roman Empire collapsed around him where a little bit of civilization could be maintained, let alone as a friend of mine who's a Catholic priest said to me, so that gentlemen could live together in communities, how he described Benedictines. I think he was a, a, a Cistercian. Um, that's, that's the sort of SAS of the monastery movement. <laughs> it wasn't to do that. It was so that um, the faith in Christ could be expressed tangibly and visibly in lives lived together growing towards Christ. The trouble with the word belief when we talk about freedom of belief is it's almost misleading as it fails fully to convey the total orientation and way of life that some foundational convictions provide. Unlike beliefs of preference, predilection and taste, Faith does not, is not an optional extra, or as it usually turns up in the um, uh, research on marketing that sometimes comes across one's desk, as a leisure interest. Certainly not if you're a clergy person. <laughs> I remember years ago when the present Chief Justice of the United States was appointed to his post and was about to go through his, nominated, about to go through his Senate confirmation hearings. There was a lot of question about the fact that he was a, wait for it, hold on to your seats, don't draw in your breath too quickly, a Roman Catholic. And the question was, would that influence his judgments? And I remember reading a senator who was uh, interviewed and said, I don't mind him being a Roman Catholic, provided it has no effect on what he does. <laughs> well, belief doesn't work that way. And it is essential that when we are talking about freedom of religion and freedom not to belong to a religion, because remember what I said about choice, 
that, that getting God, understanding what this means, the transformation at the deepest level of the human being that goes with faith in God is something that isn't just like saying, well, I I won't use football analogies, I'll get into so much trouble, uh, that is not, is, is not something like saying I prefer the color green to the color blue in my kitchen. But it's often treated that way, a mere matter of personal preference. It is at the very depths of what it is to be human. And if human rights are normative, as we believe, for how humans ought to be treated, then the precious God-given gift of human dignity is the foundation on which, these, on which these rights stand. We have value. Every human being has value because they are valued by God. Rights spring from the ineradicable dignity that we are given in creation. And we have a responsibility before God as those who trust in him to protect those rights. And that means we must be models ourselves. We must speak out in solidarity. Silence is not an option if we are to stay true to our faith. If our religious beliefs are a core part of our humanity, then treasuring the dignity of each and every human must mean we treasure their right to religious belief, even when we disagree with it. Religious freedom is a precious freedom, but it is also profoundly delicate and complex. It is not private, but public. It is lived out and expressed publicly. Now we hear again uh, the idea that it's fine if people go, are going to be religious, provided we keep it to consenting adults in private. But that doesn't work. That's not what it's about. In Christianity, and then I will speak about others, but in Christianity to start with, to belong to Christ is to be part of the family of Christ. I look around and I see here today to, to my um, intense pleasure people from the Levant, Christians from the Levant and the Middle East. When they are attacked, we are attacked as Christians here. But within Islam, there is a similar con concept. When Muslims in one part of the world are attacked, that is an attack on the people of Islam. It is something, there is, religious faith is lived out in community. It's lived out in love for one another. We may passionately disagree with doctrines of a different faith, but we need to recognize that faith is something that is public, that is something that we do together. And the moment that is attacked, the whole concept of what it means to belong to God is undermined. The public witness of the church that loves one another is a blessing to its community. And yet, as Jesus warned us would be the case throughout history, it is in the public gathering that the church is attacked. Because of its public, communal nature, gathering of those who believe in God, gatherings of Christians in the sense I'm talking about at the moment, but also of other faiths, are a challenge in a diverse society. 
we find it fine to say that a particular church is going incredibly well and is full every Sunday. But at the same time, we'll see reports about we're deeply uncomfortable about the mosque down the road that has people outside because they can't fit them in. Well, if we believe in freedom to choose, if we believe in freedom of religion, what's good for one is good for all. We must speak out for others persecuted for their belief, whether it be religious or atheistic, taking responsibility for someone else's freedom is as important as protecting my own. It is as much the right of Stephen Fry to say what he said and not to be abused improperly by Christians who are affronted as it is the right of Christians to proclaim Jesus Christ. That is his freedom to choose. That is given to us in creation. From around the Anglican Communion and in the last um, uh, two years, my wife and I have visited every province of the Anglican Communion, 37 of them. We have seen extraordinary stories of courage and persecution. Not only of persecution of Christians, but of the su suppression of all diversity. In the Middle East, we know of Christians fleeing their homes. In Saudi Arabia, we knew a few weeks ago, you may remember the report, of a gathering of migrant workers to worship quietly, invisibly together in a private flat and they were arrested and taken away. I don't know what's happened to them, some of you may. I don't know. In Pakistan, I had an anguished email on Tuesday from our bishop in Peshawar about a school that had been raided and attacked. By the grace of God, people weren't killed, but it is a routine part of life. We know about the attacks on Jewish communities, these, this atrocious, development of attacks on Jewish communities, particularly across Europe. We know about attacks on Muslims, mosques firebombed in this country, on other faiths. But we also know in some countries about the quiet, creeping removals of freedom, which breed a climate of fear and animosity. The lesson we learned from that moving reading earlier earlier about the trains going past, is why was that possible? It didn't happen overnight. It began in the 30s with the disparagement of Jewish people, with them being treated as less than entirely human. And by the time they were being carted off screaming in trains, it was more or less tolerable. Those that breeding of a climate of fear and animosity is where we must first speak out. And we must speak with humility and boldness. I'm saying we now as the churches. We must speak with humility and boldness. Boldness we do, but also with deep humility. The humility of the alcoholic who used to do this sort of thing themselves, but has learnt right from wrong and stands up and says, don't be as I was.
I welcome this coordination of efforts by the Religious Liberty Commission. For those of you who don't sort of aren't part of the Christian, of part of, who are not Christians, to get groups within the church to cooperate is inspiring. <laughs> Hopefully the expression won't come through on the tape. But I echo warmly, it is a wonderful thing that they've come together. And I echo warmly RLC's encouragement for religious and political leaders to continue to speak out in unison against all and any violation of freedom of religion. RLC are also particularly effective and persistent, praise God, there is no irony there, in resourcing us as church leaders with knowledge about what is happening and encouraging us to engage with and to pray for the persecuted church. Freedom of religion is embedded in the very way we are made. Freedom of religion is in international law. Freedom of religion is God-given and God-called. It is preserved by humble, confident claim of what it is to be a human being and the knowledge that when human beings live out their lives faithful to Christ, I'm talking here as a Christian leader, they are the most human they will ever be. Thank you.